I'm sure it looks like we haven't lost much, but we have. We've lost things. Other things we're just fighting like hell to hold on to. Everything you people have been through, I don't know if you see that. We do. Bring your kids in for a checkup. I know I offered you one, but they really should come in. They were out there a while, right? Yeah. Thanks, Pete. Let's be friends, man. We kind of have to be, right? Yeah, we do. So we will. I'll see you, Rick. This week on the Sound of Sight Walking Dead podcast, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 14, Spend, written by Matthew Negrete and directed by Jennifer Lynch. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, TV editor of SoundOnSight.org, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, editor-in-chief, general editor, general editor, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, how's it going? Hey, Kate. I'm uh, I'm doing good. We were just talking before we started recording, and I'm like, they are up to about issue number 95 in the comic book in terms of story. And right now, the comic book just released issue 138, so we're more than halfway through the series. So do you think that The Walking Dead can actually end as a TV show? We'll talk about this later. Okay. Uh, to be continued later in the podcast. But first, let's introduce, our, let's introduce our special guest. Joining us this week, returning to the podcast, and we're so happy to have him, from Sound on Sight and Process Media and uh, the Mid-Season Replacements podcast and many other things, it's Mr. Randy Jankovich. Randy, welcome back. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, so, uh, as we always say at the top of the p- podcast, this episode, we'll just talk about this week's Walking Dead episode, Spend, uh, episode 14 of season five, um, di- written by Matthew Negrete, directed by Jennifer Lynch. We will have no spoilers from things yet to come in the comics. I have not read the comics. Ricky has. Randy, what's your relationship with the Walking Dead comics? I've read 100 issues, exactly. Okay, so you're a little ahead, just a little bit ahead of where, where we are in the story right now, theoretically. Just a touch. Just a touch. Okay. Um, but anyways, no need to worry for our listeners out there because we will not be talking about anything that is yet to come. We will not be talking. We don't get screeners or anything. Um, we may talk about things that happened in the comics and also happened or they chose to go a different way in the series, but that's about it. With our all of our massive caveating out of the way, Randy, uh, let's go to you. We've had this sort of two-week um, respite as it were, with Alexandria, where we got to see the, the uh, you know, Rick's group enter Alexandria and ha- sort of bristle with relaxing and l- letting down their guard a little bit and just ha- being able to handle theoretical uh, safety. Um, and so this week, we, you know, after a couple weeks off, we're back to the gore and the horror. How did this episode work for you? And w- was it a good return to form or was it over the top? Was it too much for you? Well, let me start off by saying I think we're establishing a, a pattern here that I come on during the episode that I hate more than everybody else in the world. So <laughs> I'm, I think people are starting to loathe when I come on the podcast. Um, I think return to form is very much the right word for this episode because it's everything that The Walking Dead loves to do, both good and bad. It's not very subtle about anything. It telegraphs a lot of stuff. It has some cool moments. It has some really intriguing moments. And then it has a bunch of frustrating moments that kind of all add up to, well, that's the walking dead when you get to the end. So it's kind of take it or leave it at this point. You know, the walking dead is what it is. And this is an episode of the walking dead. I'm tiptoeing around what I want to say, I guess. (laughs) Well, this is very exciting for me because uh, unless, and I know how much you love to do this, uh, Ricky, uh, Ricky, unless you were messing with me uh, with some of what you were saying on Facebook earlier, you really like this episode. So it sounds like we're going to have a, a fun conversation here. Yeah, I do. I really do. And um, 
it's funny because I read two reviews online and both reviewers seem to agree as to why they don't like the episode. And I totally understand why they don't like the episode. But I think I walked away enjoying this episode specifically because of the direction from Jennifer Lynch. And she blew me away. Uh, I'm not a big fan of her work. Um, you know, I briefly discussed her movies last week. We've reviewed her movies on our weekly uh, Sorted Cinema movie podcast. And uh, I don't know. I thought she did a fantastic job directing this episode. And, I mean, of course, there's the entire revolving door trap scenario, which blew me away. I thought that was awesome. Like, I'm sorry. Like, having two people trapped between the revolving doors and knowing that if it opens on either side, someone's going to get eaten alive. I thought that was amazing. And we can talk about like about Noah dying towards the end. And if that was well executed and or not, but th that was just one of the standout moments for me in the entire five seasons so far. I thought that's one of the best directed, best executed action slash gore scenes we've had so far on the show. It was very effective, and it did one of the things that The Walking Dead has been very good at with its action pieces of presenting a a new challenge uh, and a new corner, a new way to kind of trap the our, our heroes, as it were. So the revolving door just is it's a really great setup because there's nowhere they can go without sacrificing one of the sets of people. Um, it's the way that it's set up. So then, how do you get out of it? Um, so they so I think it's very effective. We we can talk about Noah. Um, I was not necessarily the biggest fan of the show's very extreme gore level in this episode. I think they, it just felt, it almost felt exploitative to me in the sense that they haven't had massively, disgustingly, gruesomely gory things happen to people who are still alive um, in a while. And so it felt like maybe an overreaction. But then again, given the purpose of it, it's not just the stuff with Noah's not just there to be there. It's there to inform Glenn's state of mind. Um, I can kind of see both sides of it. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing maybe Randy, is that part of your issue? I'm, I've heard from other people that maybe that's one of the things they weren't fond of in this episode. Uh, the gore is the gore. I mean, it, it, the more gory the walking dead tries to be with these kinds of scenes. I actually don't like when they do this, you know, people getting eaten alive because they tend to use prosthetics that look, like prosthetics, it's kind of obvious that people are kind of slowly pushing their hands around stuff that's fake. So it, it takes me out of the whole scene when they do that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I don't. I wasn't really, you know, neither death really landed that hard for me, either Noah or Aiden, because neither of them are really well-drawn characters. And both of their deaths are telegraphed in the first 10 minutes of the episode. So it didn't – when they got to those set pieces, yeah, they were well set up and they were fun – and they were dramatic, but ultimately, I think it was pretty clear early on who was going to die in all these situations. And I don't know, I think they used Noah's death in an effective way to kind of mess with Glenn's head. But it kind of that ugly head of the Walking Dead minorities again. Yeah, but OK, here's the thing. Again and again and again and again and again. OK, and again. OK. Yeah. Well, OK. Well, first of all, here's a show that at least has minorities who fill up the majority of the cast. So let's <laughs> wait, 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 the majority of the cast, there's two minorities left on the show. Alexandria okay, well, is all I'm, white people. Who I don't consider just black people minorities. There's Rosita. Okay. There's a gay, two gay guys in, in this, uh, in this Alexandria. They're white people. There's, there's Glenn. <laughs> but they're still minorities still white or not. I'm talking racial minorities here. This is the racial okay, problem. Well, there's still we Rosita. Have, we have Glenn who is Glenn. Asian American. We have, Rosita, who is Latina, we have Gabriel, who is black, and... We have Michonne. Michonne. Michonne and Sasha, who's crazy. That's that's who's left. So you got that's, a traitor. So that's, wait, wait, wait. So wait, that's five characters that are significant out characters. 40, out of 40? Come on. You Sasha's not a... I'm sorry. Sasha's not a significant character. She pops up for an episode or two when Tyrese needed to be important, and she's been pushed to the background again, and she's been painted. She's a psychotic. Gabriel's been gone for this entire half a season and he comes back and he's a traitor. Noah gets characterization for five minutes and he right. died. So has, so has Eugenie. Gene was a traitor way before. Uh, and he's still Gabe alive. Well, and so as terror. But what I'm saying, though, is 
this is a show that has so many characters that they can't possibly service them all in a regular capacity. And yes, I'm not going to argue with you that many of the most popular and the most significant characters are white people, because I think it goes back to these are characters that have been established and are still around because they were so effective back when the show really did have a significant T-Dog type problem. Um, and that would be Rick and that would be Daryl and that would be Carol. Those are the three big ones. Um, but I, I mean, I for personally for me and obviously white upper middle class upbringing Midwest girl here. So I'm fully aware that maybe I shouldn't be having an opinion on this. Uh, however, when you're in a situation where you've got, you know, I went as I didn't get to watch this live. Um, I was just slightly after live and I had seen stuff start to pop up on Twitter. They're like, Oh, nameless, you know, minority character. I'm like, actually, I know all of the, the minority characters names and there's a lot of them for the show to choose from if they're going to kill somebody off. Uh, so for me, I feel like they killed the the golden boy, white boy, or whatever from Alexandria as well. They didn't only mm-hmm. kill Noah here. Yeah, uh, I mean Aiden's been around for an episode. It's kind of okay, hard well, to say look, that he's an actual character. <laughs> I, hold on, it's good. I was trying to make a point here. <laughs> I can't back you up on that criticism. I'm sorry, and I I've noticed a lot of people criticize the show for that, and I think that's a criticism that I could have backed you up on five seasons ago, maybe four, maybe even three seasons ago, but not at this point in time. But going back to Noah, you're right. Uh, his death and Aiden's death was easily telegraphed at the start of the episode. I mean, from the moment uh, he even expresses some kind of hope, he wants to learn how to build walls and help construct homes and build a bigger community. I was pretty sure Noah was going to die. I like the I like the shot towards the end when we get to see what he writes in the notebook, and he only has time to write one sentence which if I'm not mistaken, he writes, this is the beginning and that's it. But the thing about Noah's death is I can understand someone criticizing the show because they weren't emotionally torn apart by the way the scene was executed. But I think it had more to do with Glenn because that's the very first time that Glenn's actually witnessed someone die at the hands of a walker in front of him. And I think you're right, Kate. I think that scene is directed and written in a way where it's more about Glenn and his psychological um, damage and his reaction to it and what it's going to do to him as a character because Noah hasn't been around that long. And I think that even if the camera had cut away, I don't think it would have made a difference. I don't think most viewers are attached to the character Noah. So at least Jennifer Lynch as a director did execute be it gruesome or not, this fantastic sequence with the revolving door. And also Aiden, who we just got introduced to, what, two episodes ago? Okay, sure, he's dead already, but he's dead for, for a reason. I mean, this is how it's going to create the conflict between the uh, the inhabitants of Alexandria and Rick's group because now Deanna's son is dead, so clearly she's going to be pissed off and angry. And sure, I'm pretty sure fingers are going to get pointed at who's guilty and who's at fault. Uh, But so there's at least a reason for him to die because it is going to create that conflict, which the show does need because this is the walking dead and his death scene as well was pretty amazing. I mean, the fact that we actually get to see this, this explosion because he shoots, I believe it's a grenade that the, the zombie has on his belt. Right. And just to see him stuck against the wall and to see how Glenn and Noah still try to save him and then to see Eugene step up and actually for once have the courage to go out, shoot some walkers, save Tara, or at least we think he saves Tara. We're not really entirely sure if she's alive or not. I mean, this does do something for the characters in front of us, and it does show the difference between Rick's group and Alexandria's people because last week we were discussing how perhaps the show's going to change gears and it's going to be Rick's people who are going to be the bad guys. And I think we still do see a touch of this with Carol, especially towards the end of the episode when she tells Rick that he needs to kill Pete, but there's still all of these other people like Michonne, like Glenn, like Abraham who are still good people who put themselves at risk in order to save everyone else. And that's the key difference between Rick's group and the people of Alexandria. Well, for me, with Aiden, and I look forward to your thoughts on this, Randy, as well, uh, that was very well shot um, as far as what they were trying to achieve, but I really don't think I needed the overly over-the-top gory 
Aiden death and then immediately the Noah death as well. Um, if you want to argue with Noah, we're getting Glenn's perspective. I absolutely see that. With Aiden, we're just standing with the camera above him, watching him suffer. Uh, we don't need to, there's no need for that other than it's been a while since we saw that happen on the show. And, um, and again, this is my perspective. I don't like gore. This is why I don't watch well, horror stuff. Well, that's, that's fine because you don't like your gore. model may vary on that. What? Yeah, but, but, but you don't like gore. But the thing is, I could argue that they put Aiden in the situation where they thought they could have rescued him. They tried their hardest to rescue him. And because he knows that they are being you know, so unselfish to put their lives at risk to rescue him, he tells Glenn a secret. He lets him in on a secret. Yeah. No, it's not that for me. It's when they can't save him anymore and we're watching him get eaten by the all the zombies or the walkers after that. That's the where I d didn't feel like we needed to, to hold on his anguished face as his innards are, ri are ripped out for several seconds. Oh, yeah, I can agree with you. What do you think, Randy? It's a little much. It's a little much, I think. But I think, you know, The Walking Dead likes to have its cake. You know, people tune in for this kind of stuff, so they're going to give it to us every now and then. And I'm sure people were wondering, you know, it hasn't been happening in a while, so when's it going to happen? So they had the opportunity. They went for it. It's fine. Whatever. It's The Walking Dead. Well, I, I think I, they went to commercial after that. So you had a minute to recover, yeah, I guess. I think that Greg Nicotero is just as big of a star as Michonne and, um, and you know, like Andrew Lincoln playing Rick Grimes and, and Norman Reedus playing Daryl at this point in time. I mean, everybody knows his name now. He's pretty much a household name. And I think, you know, he's a big part of the success of The Walking Dead. So I could kind of understand the point of view of the makers of the show and Greg Nicotero wanting to do these special effects because that's what he does. That's what he's best at. Um, but I won't disagree that it is a little too much for the specific one scene in this episode. So but I, I'm OK with gore. I watch a lot of horror movies. For me, the the issue, the larger uh, or more, I guess, eye rolling moment for me, which I'm guessing um, may have worked for other people. Um, I'm look forward to your, again, Ricky's you're a bigger fan of this episode than I am, um, is, is actually the scene that we get at the end of the episode with, uh, Gabriel, because rather than being a very affecting moment, though, I did love the staging of it, the, the framing of it with Maggie on the stairs. So that, that was very effective. That was, that was really great. Um, but it, it just really felt like, oh, that's why he's still around because we need him to, even though they have not built it up in any significant way except maybe at the church with the cannibals. We need him to sow the seeds of doubt. But we haven't spent any time with Gabriel, so I don't know why we should feel anything in that scene other than just annoyance at him when we've watched an entire episode demonstrating how the Rick's group are good and help people and put themselves at dan in danger to help these strangers. Um, so that was really kind of just very writerly and annoying to me, even if it was executed visually in a, in a affecting way. It's a weird shift how it goes from being, you know, Gabriel's, you know, in the first half of the season, this whole conflict was Gabriel's internal thing on whether, what kind of human being he was. And then he disappears for a while and he comes back. And then all of a sudden he's the catalyst for a completely different kind of conflict between, the two groups of people that he hasn't interacted with at all. And, you know, for, in our eyes and months, and it's just, a, it's a very weird shift and seems randomly placed to kind of drum up the drama. So, because there's only two episodes left in the season, you know, I think had this not happened now, they had waited with this or done it earlier. We could have had more time to spend with him in this new community. Cause you know, he's taken it, you know, people are looking to him, when he's walking around this town, I think people are assuming that, hey, we've got a guy wearing pastor gear. He might be a pastor or a priest or something useful. And instead, he turns out to be a, not a snitch, but um, he's uh, the word he's I'm, there's a word I'm looking he's for. He's unstable. But, uh, he's unstable. Well, and he's, yeah, he's a coward. Yeah, which comes out of nowhere. It's, it's something that we've seen from that character, and it ties in with this thread through the episode of Aiden and Guy who got... Noah killed, whose name I don't remember, as well as with Eugene, this threat of, of coward. So we've seen him previously. That's how, at least how he was introduced. We've not necessarily seen him um, process and deal with that experience and come out the other side the way that we, in this episode, see Eugene face his cowardice and overcome it, at least in that moment. Um, so I was tying in that thread there. But again, if we're supposed to feel for Gabriel at the start of the episode when he's tearing out the Bible, um, 
they needed to do more because it did. I was just sort of confused. I figured that was going to be because I'd been spoiled that somebody died. I figured that was going to be like a, a flash forward that we were going to it was going to actually be after the funeral that he was doing that and everything. So it just kind of came out of nowhere for me. But but I don't think the uh, the problem is that specific scene. I think it's been the character of Gabriel since the start because he's been unstable since the very beginning. And at the beginning of this episode, he's tearing apart the Bible. And at the end of the episode, he's knocking on Deanna's door and he's like, I have a message about Satan. Like, I'm sorry if anybody knocked on my door and started talking about Satan. I would think that, that this person is bloody crazy. Um, also, it's unclear if Deanna is even religious and she's a very smart person. It doesn't necessarily mean that she's actually going to, like, believe anything he says. There's a possibility and it could help create some tension between the, the two groups of people we have yet to see but i mean he comes across as crazy when he knocks on her door you know and i don't think she needs gabriel to tell her that these people can be dangerous to them i think she knows this as soon as she lets them in through the gates but the thing is she has them in her community because she needs them and so regardless of what gabriel says she needs rick she needs michonne she needs carol she needs abraham and so on and so forth so who the hell cares what he says and his character has been like that since day one so I don't think it's specifically a problem with the scene. I think it's his character overall. If there's anything good they're doing with the people of Alexandria, it's pointing out that they really do need this group of survivors because they seem to be a bunch of idiots. Yeah, how have they survived if they have, like, an understanding that anybody who gets in any trouble, we're just going to abandon you? Like, seriously. Well, that's how they survive. <laughs> well, but I mean, like... How, how how do people agree to go outside of the wall if they know no one has their back? Yeah, how do they form a community when they refuse yeah. to be a community? It's it's kind of weird how, you know, even um, Deanna even notes to herself in this episode, she's like, wait, I keep putting these people in positions of power. And it's like, well, you're kind of inviting it because they've painted this entire town as incompetence. Even their mayor, who's afraid to kind of lead. She wants to lead, but she wants to do it inside. We see her inside all the time or hanging on the sides of buildings. Like, she's never out in the open at all. It doesn't make them very interesting people. Well, I, I mean, I do think the Gabriel scene and his his knocking on Deanna's door is much more effective with, you know, he's he gets his message across much more effectively because it comes immediately after she's expressed that doubt about uh, Abraham. Mm -hmm. um, and so that because of where it's placed, you know, if it had happened earlier in the episode or just like in a different episode from the whole Abraham thing, then I think he it would have been very easy to dismiss this, like almost babbling preacher, uh, as, as just dismiss as, you know, not worth taking seriously. Um, but yeah, the one, two punch of that, who, who knows? I do think, uh, it, the scenes with Abraham are, are, are very effective here. Um, how did you guys read his, like starting to freak out it was just like he needed purpose well yeah i think that's the the defining thing of abraham they've shown throughout this entire season is that the moment he lacks purpose in his life he loses all sense of hope you know he saw it after he lost his family when he nearly killed himself until eugene showed up and then after he nearly killed eugene he was about to kill himself again and i think you know now that he had kind of settled down and didn't need to push a group of people forward he was really kind of searching i think there's one thing that this episode does really well and this kind of half of the season it's captured this particular you know internal conflict well with abraham trying to find his place in this community when he's 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 painted himself as an animal at this point you know more so than even rick rick's still able to put on the old suit that he used to have and you know rock his cowboy hat again but abraham's really struggled with being a human again after doing a bunch of horrible things to save people that then ran away from him and got killed immediately after like that's been a big thing for him and i think this episode goes a long way to kind of pushing him forward into a new stage which i'm interested to see where they go with it yeah and it's about his character being consistent because you're right randy he's he's always needed a mission he's always needed something to do i mean he's a soldier so you know when we did have that flashback at the first half of like season five and we see him when he first met eugene you know, we understand that his family died and he, we understand that he was about to commit suicide. But meeting Eugene gave him a new mission, a new goal to save humanity. And when, of course, they found out that Eugene was lying, he was crushed and he, he was lost. And now I think that finding Alexandria, he, he wants to find a purpose to be at Alexandria. And 
and um, and help out as much as he can. He can't just be like one of those people who live in Alexandria that can just like sort of cook, make bake, um, make cookies and bake and or drink themselves silly and or go to like house parties and drink wine. Like he's not that type of person, you know. Those uh, are all Carol's job. <laughs> well, well Car- Carol's undercover. <laughs> speaking of, we got to talk a little bit about Carol and Sam because they took what was such a chilling scene last week and they took the same two characters and made them adorable this week um and I, it tells you so much that like after carol says that really really scary monologue to sam he comes back he's like hey can we hang out again like that tells you you know it it very clearly foreshadows that there's if he if he wants to spend time with carol after she said that because he that's how much he doesn't want to be at home Tells you a lot. Um, also, I, I just love the notion of hi, of him being, you know, like the pesky kind of neighbor kid who's going to just keep showing up at her door. She's like, yeah, don't come back. Okay, sure thing. Hi, I'm back. <laughs> I just think that's, uh, there's so much comedic potential there. But then to l- loop it back in dramatically with um, the doctor and this, this, because I think it's important to remember that um, Sam's dad, who's theoretically uh, abusing Jesse, is the town doctor and a very good one from what Aaron had said. Yeah. Um, and therefore, or it was Eric, one of, one of the two of them had, had said, um, so the t- Alexandria can't necessarily spare him. And that puts them in a, a very tricky place, which is why I think Carol is saying that Rick should just kill him. I mean, what, what did you guys think of both the comedy of the, that sequence and like the arc over this, the episode and what you think might be coming next? Um, well, I actually like, you know, last week when we talked about Carol's scene, I thought it was like amazing. It was like one of the highlights of the episode. But I also mentioned that I thought it rang a little false when she, who is a mom and who, you know, later on adopted Sophia and not not Sophia, sorry, uh, Lizzie and Mika, like for her to turn to Sam and and ask him to keep a secret, like, you know, the kid's not going to keep a secret. That's not something an adult should ask a child to do. But when I work with kids at like my summer camp, for example, there's this one question we ask all our counselors and it's like, what's the difference between a good stranger and a bad stranger? And so all the monitors respond with, you know, oh, uh, someone in a uniform, like a cop is, a, is like a good stranger. I'm like, well, how do you know? Like, what if it's just someone wearing a cop uniform? The correct answer is a good stranger is when a child can sense that someone's a good person or not really a threat or a danger to them, that they approach the stranger as opposed to the stranger approach, approaching the kid. So my point in telling the story is that I think that's the thing about Sam, regardless of what Carol said to him, he sort of knew deep down inside. He can sense that she wasn't really a danger to him. Like she really didn't want to hurt him. She was trying to protect herself. And I think he's smart enough to understand that she was trying to protect herself and that I don't think she actually really wants to hurt this kid. She just doesn't want the secret to get out. So I really like this kid, Sam, (laughs) like out of all the kids in the show Mm -hmm. so far, he's like the bomb. He's so cool. And I thought you're right. It was adorable to see him try to interact with Carol. And um, and as far as the whole Pete the Doctor thing goes, I mean, this is a situation in which the Walking Dead is trying to force some kind of like conflict between Rick Grimes and someone who's a member of the community and someone who's important to the community. And this, in this case, it's a doctor. I'm not really fond of this like plot. Um, and the thing is, is that I don't think that they actually can or I don't think it's they can they can you know if they wanted to kill this guy they can but is it actually going to benefit the entire like community of Alexandria because at this point he's the only doctor as far as I know so why would you kill the doctor there's got to be a better way to handle it what do you think Randy um okay so it's this story is three parts to me and I like the first part I like the second part I hate the middle part the the first part I like is Sam I like Sam and Carol getting along after she you know I would have shit my pants if I was that kid and she threatened me in a dark house like that. <laughs> um, but for him to come back the next day and want to make cookies, like that's awesome. That's great. But what it leads to this whole doctor is a wife beater story. Not such a big fan of that kind of stuff because I think it regresses Carol back to a person that she used to be and things that she shouldn't have to deal with anymore. Cause she's already dealt with them. Like it's a kind of a story I don't want to retread as this whole wife beating thing, but at the very same time, it brings up a really interesting conflict of what do you do with somebody like that when you're trying to rebuild a society, but there's really no such thing as law. Like Rick's wearing an uh, an outfit, but that's bullshit. You know, either there's no 
police force. There's no federal prisons. You know, you can't just lock up a wife beater. Where are you going to put them? Where are you going to keep them secure for a long period of time where, you know, a zombie's not going to eat them? What's fair and what's not fair in this world? And I think that conflict is really interesting. But the whole idea that it, you know, it speaks to Carol because it's about a, a beaten wife like that, I could, I could really do without. I, I just have had enough about the whole abused wife and kids story on TV, I think. Well, especially because we've already uh, heard about Carol's like past abuse with her husband. Like, yeah, she sucked for two seasons because she was an abused wife. Like, they made her a terrible character for well, two seasons. Like, I don't want to do that again. That was also her connection to Daryl uh, when uh, they were at, um, oh my God, what was it, O'Grady's Hospital? Like, I mean, that's when they they ended up in the the shelter home and. That's when she sort of clued in that maybe perhaps Daryl was also abused when he was younger. I mean, how many times are they going to remind us that she has or she was abused in the past? Like, we know this. And it's not a good defining factor for a female character. Like, it's a disappointing thing for them to keep relying on. Yeah, like, I think if they want to try to establish some kind of storyline in where Rick Grimes, Deanna and Michonne have to come up with some kind of like system, like a law or build a jail or something or have some kind of trial or courtroom, there's a better way to do it. There's different ways to do it. So that, that's a part of the story outline that I didn't like myself either. Um, I'm going to just chime in quickly to say I really strongly disagree with you guys on this one because, um, and I, I don't think this is what you mean, but what it comes across as, at least to me, is why, why is she still complaining or why is she still affected by having been abused by her husband for her entire adult life? She should be over that in a couple years, which that's not at all. No, that's not what but, I'm saying but, at all. I'm saying well, no, no, but, should, okay. You just completely reworded everything we said. Yeah, nope. that's not. That's that's, that's yes. like a totally aggressive. No. It, okay. Well, let, let me tell you just, why. Okay. That's how it came across, because you guys were just saying that she shouldn't be affected by the. Why does she have to bring this up? Why is this a big deal? Why you know? Why are they doing this? Why would she be like her being sensitive to spousal abuse? Come on, that that's what that's regressing the character. I don't think it's regressing the character at no, all. No, it's not. It's not why. It, why the, the reason is why does why do they have to make such a big point? We understand already that this informs the character. You don't have to explain to us over and over again. You're you're beating us down with the whole wife beaten thing. Like I understand that this is something that's going to affect her worldview. I don't need it explained to me over and over again because then it becomes. It's it's exploiting the whole situation. Okay, and it's a story that they do this on a lot of shows. And that's what Randy's saying. What I'm saying is slightly very different, actually. What I'm saying is the writers don't need to incorporate another female character on a show who's also abused and a child that's abused. Because I think what I'm trying to say is I think that the reason for the storyline is it's headed somewhere. And I think it's it's headed in a direction where they're going to have to establish some kind of laws. And because of Rick Grimes is, it's like Randy says, he's walking around with a uniform. But what does that mean when there's no laws? Like, like someone breaks a statue, like house vandalism. What are you going to do about it? He doesn't know what, what he's going to do about it. So what I'm saying is if this story is written to either create conflict between Rick Grimes and Pete and or to lead somewhere, like perhaps creating some kind of laws in this community, there is a different way to do it as opposed to having another abused wife on the show. That's all I'm saying. And I guess what I'll say – and we can then move on because there's plenty of other things to talk about. I don't want to get bogged down, but um, I don't think this is just dredging up and re-emphasizing Carol's past. I think her past and her relationship with her husband allows her to get these little pieces of information from Sam and the fact that Jesse doesn't come to the door and connect the dots in a way that Rick wasn't able to. He didn't figure out what was going on. He, If he had been talking to Sam, he would not have connected the dots. But because she has that background, she is able to. And she immediately realizes what at least what she thinks is going on. And we don't know that she's right. She could just be, this could be a sensitive topic for her. So she could be inferring into it. But I feel like we can go with her on this one. Um, and immediately brings it to Rick. And that is what propels the next action. Um, for me, actually, the bigger part of this is not what does... Uh, law mean like what does what does someone doing things that our characters find morally offensive um, mean in a society without rules my what this immediately makes me think of is actually the hospital and how much is Alexandria the are the people of Alexandria going to be willing to let this guy do in the name of we need a doctor 
because they could they could always exile him. They've done it before. But will they be willing to exile their only doctor if he says you have to let me stay with my you can't break up my family uh, or I won't be your doctor anymore? Like, that's what I see as the moral quandary. You know, the thing is, it's like this is the, the tricky thing about reviewing a TV show is in five episodes from now, we can reflect back on this episode and have a completely different opinion. Each and every single one of us about the way it's written in this specific episode, because we don't know where it's headed. But the thing is, is if they throw in this kid who's abused, this child, Sam, and this wife who's also abused and, you know, Pete's the one that's like the abuser and they don't really do anything. Like, what are they going to do with the story? Okay. So we found out that they're being abused and then Rick Grimes is going to step in. He's going to try to resolve the situation. So what he's either going to shoot him, lock him up, or like there's going to be conflict, but then if that's the end of that storyline, then it's like basically was it really needed? Do you did you actually really discuss in an intelligent and responsible way, like addressing this this issue of abuse? Like I don't know where it's headed, and I just don't know if it was the wisest decision for them to 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 to, to decide on. Like you know what I mean? Like I just think that there could have mm-hmm. been other ways for them to. Find a, a, a way to have conflict between Pete and Rick Grimes without having this child and his wife being abused. I just don't have faith in the writers to actually be responsible enough to tackle this topic in the upcoming episodes. I really don't. Do you have any other thoughts on the topic, Randy, before we move on? No, I just I just think that the, there's a million other ways they could have introduced this story, this conflict. That's It's really my only thing that I love Carol as a character. I love what they've done with her, but I just it's a well I don't. I think we need to return to it. You, you know who the most interesting character is? It's Olivia or Olivia. I forget her name. The lady from last week, right? Who uh, Who's the one that gave Carol the chocolate? Mm-hmm. Like, there's just something about that character that I think she's interesting. And maybe I'm just hopeful, but I don't know. I think we're going to see a lot more to her. And I wouldn't be surprised if she, like Carol, is sort of like, quote unquote, undercover and pretending to be something she's not. Maybe she's a lot tougher and stronger than she actually appears. Maybe she can actually hold and hold a gun and shoot a gun. We don't know. But I want to see more of her character. Yeah, that is. Olivia. I do need some characters in Alexandria. I need some more personalities in this place. Yeah, it really just is Deanna and kind of her husband right now um but her husband kind of only gets characterization in this episode so there's sympathy when his son gets killed yeah or when noah gets killed it's like hey there's a guy here with a beard who talks and his son is like yeah you stay safe and it's uh, funny because it's ironic (laughs) well we have um sam we like sam uh we've Mm -hmm. the the teens that we met briefly that could there could have potential there um but yeah the others it's just basically um uh nice pretty blonde lady uh who who is just kind of we don't know that much about her yet other than she's nice um and her jerk husband and that's about it so i I do concerned looking white people in the background yeah the construction and a couple here and there i like that the foreman of the construction crew though it is nice that he may not get we may not know him but the one thing we do know about him is that he's able to recognize and uh, immediately steps down uh, that, that that Abraham is a better leader and is better for the community. And he's willing to do that. There isn't like any sort of, you know, power struggle or anything like that at all, which is would speak, we, which speaks well of the people who are in positions of authority in Alexandria, at least. Oh, that was a surprising moment. That was the a very surprising moment. Honestly, I didn't expect him to go in there and be so humble about the whole situation. Well, they have to have at least some good people in this community, right? They all can't be like hotheads and bad and stupid. Right, exactly. <laughs> but going back to something you said, Kate, earlier on, where you I, – I, I think you may have said that you think that Deanna doubts that Abraham has the uh, capability to actually lead this group. No. And? Okay. Because I, no. I think she knows he can do it. I think her worry is that if she starts putting all these people in charge – you know, the, the people that were there in the community before Rick showed up are going to start not not just doubting her decisions, but being like, uh, I guess, worried that they're just basically going to take over, which is what's going to happen regardless. Yeah, I think she's just concerned that she wants it to be them to be an equal blended, you know, cohesive community, not we brought in this group and now they lead us. Um, and I think it's not just that she's worried that other people will think that I think. She is very aware of the threat that they she took a calculated risk, basically, by bringing them in. Um, And she was more comfortable with that with only a couple of their their group in key positions. 
Um, that's which is why Eugene might be very knowledgeable, but he's not running everything, you know, technology and building based. He's just part of the team. Um, <laughs> and so to have uh, to have another, you know, we have the, they're the cops now and they're also running the the foreman. And they're, so like they, they basically have put themselves in the position to be in charge of all of the guns. You know, except for being Olivia. And I think that's she's she's wise to be a little concerned about that. But she's also the person who put Michonne and Rick Grimes in charge of, like, being constables. <laughs> she's also the person that decided that Maggie's going to sit as counsel. I mean, she puts she automatically right away put three of their members in immense power. Yeah, like three people, Michonne, Rick and Maggie. Those are already three people. She just met them. <laughs> yeah. Well, she so, put Maggie on like the board, but there's there are like three or four other people. So it's sort of like she is the person from their group that they had in. And I actually specifically liked unless I misheard. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. It sounded like um, Maggie was putting together like fields or something because of her background growing up on a farm. And I really liked that they if that if I heard that right, I like that they brought that back in. And that's something that she can contribute that maybe nobody else there can. Yeah, well, I think. It seems like they're trying to expand. Uh, Rick can farm. Don't you remember Rick the farmer? <laughs> I try not to remember Rick the farmer. <laughs> it seems they clearly have already started to expand Alexandria. I mean, they're building something. I don't think they're building houses because they don't need houses to house people. Perhaps they're building a farm? A club. A club? Mother <laughs> dick. Club Mother Dick, that's what it's called, actually. Well, you know what they need? They they need a saloon, clearly, because it's an Old West-style uh, outpost in the middle of the, the, the Wild West, or the Wild, you know, D.C. So clearly they need a saloon. They need and, a gem. Yeah, who's going to be the barkeep, is what I want to know. Um, Maybe that's what Tara can do. Carl? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little worried about the teenagers, though. I think the girl's going to work out. But I don't know. What are they going to do with those two teenage boys? I'm not sure. But any any of the teenagers who uh, have been in this community and we've seen how not how basically how useless, at least at survival, this community is outside of their walls. Um, but any any person, uh, let alone any teen who can shake Carl that quickly uh, gets a thumbs up for me and uh, should have something interesting to contribute to the series once we get back to that character. Was it Enid, can, right? Can I say one thing about her that's not really a spoiler? Absolutely. She's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? Okay, the thing is, I think Carol's reaction is still a little too strong because, first of all, um, like, I don't know, maybe... I don't know how I feel about it. Like, I think that you can't just straight up go out and decide to kill this person, especially if he is the doctor. I mean, you do have like this baby, right? Like he, Rick has even had Judith like checked out yet. I mean, she's a baby born in like the middle of like the zombie apocalypse. Like she should have been checked out by now. And I, I think like clearly everyone in the world has gone through hell and we don't necessarily know the backstory. Like, has this has is this something that's been going on for, you know, since before the zombie apocalypse, or did it start after the zombie apocalypse? Like his, uh, you know, his drinking problem, him hitting and or abusing or whatever his wife and kid. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe I just would like to have faith in people, but I think that there's a better way to handle it. At least try, as opposed to just straight up shooting the person. Well, <laughs> and it doesn't help that. Um... Daryl is out uh, recruiting because he would counterbalance Carol and Rick. Uh, very much. Well, yeah, Rick is Rick is going to be the one who has to make the choice of how to proceed. And Carol is feels very strongly one way. Um, so I guess maybe that'll put Michonne in that role. She's been much more the um, optimist. Let's make this work. Um, you know, more believing in people. Than, than Rick and Carol. So with Daryl gone, I feel like Rick is more likely to to make a rash choice. Which is weird because Rick's also the person who decided to boot Carol out of the prison without actually telling Tyrese that she was the one that killed Karen and what's-his-face, I think, was David. Um, so he made the decision to exile her, but now he's sort of like taking orders from, or at least believing in her recommendations like 
this is what I mean by Rick Grimes is never consistent. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Well, but I think he, he made that decision to exile Carol, and then it actually ended up saving their lives, but he regretted it, I think. he After going through the, the, his experiences after the prison, and certainly after Terminus, he would not have made that same choice. Um, and so he's a different person, you know, he's, his, his choice, his like processes, you know, you know, decision-making is different than it was when he did that. So I don't know if that's inconsistent. I would say maybe that is actually more, it's better writing that way to have him, his, him be more shaped by those experiences and not just default to the same, you know, approach. What do you think? What do you think, Randy? I don't, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think you guys have covered both sides of that conflict really well. I don't. Honestly, I don't have anything to add to it. Fair okay, enough. Let, let me ask you both the question. It's going to be a hard question to answer. So um, you're in Carol's shoes. What do you do? Do you just kill Pete secretly, maybe by poisoning him or something without anyone knowing and just end the uh, the problem as quickly as you can, like the quick and easy solution? And or do you try to find the better way to handle it? Even if you know it might blow up in your face, like for example, sitting down and talking to the man. Well, if I'm Carol, that's very different than Carol being Carol, because uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what would you do? I mean, okay, you're not Carol, but you're one of you're in the room with Carol and Rick. You're you're hanging out with these three people. Okay, if somehow me, person who would be eaten in like the second day of the uh, zombie apocalypse. If I were, were lucky, um, I totally blind. I would instantly be Walker food. Um, anyways, if, if I were somehow in my current state teleported into the, that world, um, I would caution restraint and I would say, go talk to Deanna because, be, because she's shown good judgment to this point and for all we know, like, and get some more information, you know, because for all we know, this is a known situation and there will be no trouble or no conflict in just getting rid of him. And then should he, you know, sh should the, the Deanna and the rest of the, the community just ignore the situation or abandon Jesse to her abusive husband, assuming he actually is abusive, um, then you can just wait a while and accidentally give him some, you know, spiked food or, oh no, he accidentally got stabbed, poked with this needle while dealing with a difficult patient. You know, I think there's a lot of things that Carol is, uh, creative enough to make work if Deanna doesn't, uh, if, if Deanna lets him down. Well, you know, I think you're right. I think that's how I would react, except I wouldn't go so far as to kill the guy. But in my eyes, it's like I walk into this community and Pete's uh, Pete was here before me. He was under the supervision of Deanna and whoever else is running the the, uh, the town. So I would just go speak to Deanna and let her take care of it. If she didn't take care of it, then I'm not entirely sure what I would do. But I would at least try to speak to Deanna and have her settle the problem. Um, but I think he would survive in a in a zombie world longer than you think because you actually run marathons. You're pretty smart. <laughs> You you you're into music, so is Beth. She lasted pretty long. That's true. That's true. And I wouldn't do the stupid thing that got her killed. So you know, clearly, <laughs> maybe maybe if I didn't have such horrible horrible eyesight, maybe I could do okay. I don't know. Randy, did you have any thoughts on this? Not my survival rate in the zombie apocalypse, but um, but Deanna. Um. Well, I. I mean, we're talking about what Carol would do in this situation, correct? No, what would you do? If you were what Carol. Would I do if I was Carol, correct? What would you do if you were either Carol or in, in, in the room and, like, you were, like, one of the members of this group, like Rick's group, and you were, like, really close with Carol and Rick Grimes and, and Daryl, and you knew that they were stealing guns and, and uh, you know, doing things they shouldn't be doing? Well, first of all, I'm Carol, so I don't give a fuck. I do what I want. I mean, I know, right? You know, Carol, like, who the hell does she think she is asking Rick Grimes to commit the crime for her? She's the one that shot two girls. Like, and it's, it's, we all know it's not going to play out that way because that, that's what frustrates me about that is because this is a story with potential, but this whole, I'm, I'm worried about this whole abusive wife thing because it's going to come to the point where everybody's going to try, Carol's going to try and take a measured approach. Everybody's going to try and take this measured. 
And then Pete's going to do something or whatever the fuck the doctor's name is. He's going to do something that's going to push Carol to do something extreme. I feel like this is this is Carol's story. She might be pulling, trying to pull Rick in right now, but I feel like at the end of the day, this is Carol's story, and it's going to be Carol's decision to make, whether she pulls in Deanna or whether she pulls in Rick. I feel like they really established that in this episode that this is going to be her conflict to resolve, and I just don't see it ending in a pleasant way. I like, And I she's like, not going to do something clever and quiet. She's not going to do the whole, you know, poison him at the purple wedding thing. She That's not Carol's type. She'll put a bullet in your head and bury you in the backyard and then wipe her hands and walk away she'll do it in their backyard she don't care see the but i think carol going to rick makes sense to me that with what she again what she's been through this is not you know the last time she took matters into her own hands she killed karen and david and very much regretted it later so you know she she's trying to be hands-off but the, the thing is they're making the story so personal from the start that it's pretty clear that she's not going to be able to do that. She's she's acting in her best interest in this episode, but I don't see that lasting. Well, there's only uh, two more episodes of this season, so one way or the other, it, this she's is going to escalate quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, or because we already know that Rick doesn't like Pete, so he, I don't I don't know. Much... Yeah, Rick wants to get laid, so he's already ready to kill somebody. I don't know how much, you know, prompting he's going to need from from Carol. I think he'll be very responsive to this, you know, because he just Peach has been a dick and the way that he comes over to the house and is aggressive and everything. Um, he's like already drunk. I mean, they don't really give the guy a chance. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a stretch for him to believe Carol from what he's already seen. And I think he can also recognize how, especially if this is the doctor, if the if the doctor is day drinking and uh you know it's i i was getting undertones of i'm the one who's going to check up your kids you want me to you know not accidentally kill them right when i'm checking up your kids so back off from my wife you know like if this is your doctor maybe you know rick is looking at the larger picture and seeing we need to get rid of this guy because he's in that very specific role you know what you're right we should just shoot him Get her. <laughs> over the wall. Exile. <laughs> Exile, because then he can come back with whoever's carving the W's on the walkers at the end of the season. I really do like the second half. I, You know what? I love this whole entire season. So I think this is the best season of The Walking Dead. I would agree. There are some, if we're going to do this whole season, I mean, that includes the hospital arc and how they dealt with Beth's death and everything. So I, I can't go sign on the whole season. But I do think it's been a strong... Um, uh, yeah, this, it's been. I, th- I do think it has been the best season of the show, the most consistent season of the show. Just, but it's certainly had its problems. And um, Alexandria seems to be legit, and that is something that the show really, really needed uh, for them to run into people who aren't the governor and who aren't the people in the hospital. So um, I am very pleased with how this, so far, this half second half of the season has turned out, um, d- despite any issues that I may have. Do we have any hopes or, uh, you know, I know, Ricky, whatever you ask for, the show eventually gives us. So do we have any, like, wish lists for the next two episodes? Besides, obviously, Morgan. A wish list? Um, yeah, well, I mean, Morgan, but we talked about that four weeks in a row. I think Morgan's got to pop up before the end of the season hopefully uh before post credits he'll pop up and be like hey i'm here god no um, <laughs> no that's not allowed to happen <laughs> is deanna gonna be the new governor and her husband the new herschel that's what i'm kind of worried about um i don't know what i should ask for let me think about this go to randy first oh crap i thought you were gonna have something good um well i'd like to see sam make it to the end of the season at least if there's anybody, um, I don't want Daryl to take a shower. I hope he remains shower free till the end of the season. I want them to kill Glenn. Not I... No, I want them to kill Glenn. Yeah, I think like out of the next, if I had to choose the next person to die, it would be Glenn. Not Gabriel. Yeah, I don't consider Gabriel one of the main crew. Okay, if you want to consider everyone in Rick's crew. Uh, yeah, Gabriel can, you know, he can go. But, uh, I mean, I'm talking about the or the, the fan favorites, the ones that uh, okay that we like. Like Glenn, Michonne, Rick, Abraham. I don't even consider Tara one of the ones we like. Um, Eugene. Like, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I wouldn't pick Eugene over Glenn. I wouldn't pick uh, Abraham over Glenn. I wouldn't pick Rosita over Glenn. Like, 
I don't know. Glenn's been there so long. He's been there since season one. And uh, if I had to get rid of one of these characters, I would pick Glenn because I don't want to see Michonne leave or Daryl or Carol or Rick or Maggie. I think Maggie's actually going to start. She's going to start to get interesting now. Now that she has this new position in town. Okay. For me, there's just so, so few um, Asian American characters on TV and Asian-American male characters who are not really, really angering um, stereotypes, like cliches, who are actually characters or who are not defined by their Asian-Americanness, that I would really miss Glenn just on a representation standpoint. Um, But I think that he could go. Uh, I just would rather, if they're going to start killing people off, let's get rid of the characters who don't have a function or a character yet. So I feel like I know who Glenn is and I feel like he's a person. Um, I would be more interested in them just kind of either make Rosita a person or kill her. By Rosita. I was thinking the same character. I was like, she's going to say Rosita. Or, you know, Gabriel, same thing. Or Tara, same thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, they haven't done anything with Rosita or Tara or Gabriel. The three of them can just blow up with Pete. Or, you know, they could make them characters that we care about. I'd much rather have that happen. Yeah, no, I would would much rather see Gabriel just blow up. If anyone deserved a grenade, it was Gabriel, not poor Aiden. Oh, my God. Poor guy. Okay, well, uh, any final thoughts then on this episode uh, of, of The Walking Dead? What's the body count before the finale? Um... I think next week will be fairly timid. They're I say, probably going to save it. They haven't done a big finale like this in a little while. I say zero. Zero? Okay, yeah, Randy? I think, I think the finale is going to end with a cliffhanger, so no one's actually going to die. I think somebody goes in the finale, but I don't know. I don't necessarily think it has to be a major character. I think I think the next episode won't. There, things will be fairly you know, streamlined and quiet with a lot of talking being the drama, but I think the season finale will be, so I haven't really done a big, like last season finale kind of had them arrive at Terminus, but that was in like the last 10 minutes. So it was a cliffhanger, but there wasn't a lot of action attached to it. I think the show hasn't done something big on a season finale stage in a little while. So Hmm. things are going to get dramatic. People are going to get angry. Do we find out about the gun before the, the end of the finale? Yeah, they're gonna they're they're gonna tie up all the loose ends. We're gonna find out about the gun. We're gonna see Morgan pop up for more than just an a post credit sequence. Like we're gonna actually see him pop up for probably a whole entire I don't episode. Oh, he might be post credits. Yeah, there's only two episodes left. Like if they bring him in now, <laughs> what are they gonna be able to do with him before the end of the season? They'll be like, hey, look, he's here. Oh wait, all this other shit's going on. Okay, so I just want to quickly talk about something because I know we're running long in time. So, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, it's already. The show's already at basically uh, issue number 95 of the comic book, which leaves about, like, no more than 50 more epi- – uh, no, less. Like, maybe 40 more issues left to go. So we're pretty close to where the com- comic book currently stands, right? So what do you think happens? Like, by se- season seven, if not the end of season six, they're going to be pretty much up to date with the comic book. Are they just going to finish the show? Like, end the show? Are they going to oh, put no. No, of course not. They'll just make up stories. They've made up stories and characters already. They'll just keep doing that. And they'll be better off for it. Because don't you think it would actually benefit the show if they took a season off? Because when it comes back, it'll be a lot stronger. It might might be good to take just for the writers just to have some extra time off to rejuvenize and get some new ideas. Sure. But I don't think they... I don't don't think think AMC can afford it. Yeah, I don't think oh, that that's going to yeah. happen, and I don't think that the, the the them running out of comics is in any way a concern for for the quality of the show. I mean, of course, I haven't read the comics, so they've already got an entire other show ready to run for multiple seasons. They've already picked up two seasons of a show full of characters that aren't in the comic books. So, right, and I'm just wondering if the reason for them picking up the show, which is going to start next year, is because they're closing in on where the comic book is is at right now. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, maybe they're just going to, like... Because I just... Because it's still Robert Kirkman's baby, right? And and the comic book is his baby, and I just can't... You, I guess he could do side stories, but what could they really do? Because they're not... Because, I mean, it's one issue that gets released per month, and there's four episodes that get released per month. You know what I mean? Like, 
once the show passes the point of the comic book, the comic book will never be able to catch up. Yeah, but it never has to do that. That's the thing you're missing is they can just stop. They could stop adapting comic book stuff right now if they felt like it. They get mm-hmm. to a one piece at a time here and there. They've kind of been slowing things down lately as it has been. Well, that, that's what I was asking you at the, at the start. So you think that they might just eventually stop following the comic book and go in a completely different direction? Oh, yeah. I, I think they would have to. Yeah, I think, you know, like you said, they there's only so much material. You know, the comic books are a limited world at this point. So if the show continues beyond that, those stories, I think they would obviously have to. I don't think they're just going to end it and try and carry an audience over to a spinoff. That doesn't make sense business-wise and also business-wise amc cannot afford to lose this show for a season i mean they're gonna ride this as long as they can because outside of better call saul which is getting some acclaim but not getting big a huge audience they don't really have anything to market on once batman's gone didn't break better call saul break records like it wasn't the uh the the the, the, the premiere made of broke records but it's not it's not blowing up cable okay it's got about, um, it's, you know, as it always, these shows always do, it gets a, a big number for the uh, premiere. In this case, it was just under $7 million, um for the pilot. And then just kind of keeps going down until it finds like a carrying place, you know, that it, that it maintains. Yeah, it's down to $2.5 million as of yeah. last week. So it's, 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 an, it's already it's established itself as a niche show. You know, when you make a spinoff, you lose the audience of the old show after that first episode. Yeah, well, and it's getting a lot of critical acclaim, which is a thing that the show needs too, because it's going to be, like you say, uh, said Randy, and, and I think Ricky might have as well. Mad Men is going off the air. They don't have any other critically acclaimed shows at all, besides Better Call Saul. They almost have no other shows at all. Yeah, well, they have Turn. They have there's there's a series of these. Turn is coming back re- uh, soon. Yeah, they, they have, have several and, um... other shows. They have <laughs> yeah. Hell on Wheels. They have they have other shows, but Hell on Wheels is still going. Yeah, yes, it is. Oh wow! Uh, well, they they have the Talking Dead. I guess they can always talk about the Walking Dead. <laughs> they're not filming the oh, Walking this, Dead and anymore. They're airing their last season right now too. This year they're splitting up this show's last season, so Hell on Wheels is even ending at this point. Mm-hmm. What are they bringing in at this point a week? They're just it's gonna... under two million. Well, but they've been doing very well for Saturdays. Um, Helen Wills has mm-hmm. established, established itself uh, surprisingly well as a like the only thing that's airing on Saturday. Um, but we're talking about Helen Wills, which means that we should wrap up the podcast. <laughs> that is not what anybody wants to listen to. No. So, uh, Randy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Well, you can find me most of the time at TV Overmind. I am on staff there now. Um, but I also write at Sound on Site, and I have a podcast with Sarn Coletti called The Midseason Replacements. So you can find that stuff all over the internet and uh ricky how about you twitter it's sound on site and of course you can find everything i do at soundonsite.org anything uh, going on at sound on site uh this week that we should specifically mention uh no but you know what i mean yes but I, I won't mention it but you know what we should mention we do record a podcast about i would think a better tv show which is going to start in about four weeks time <laughs> the Game of Thrones podcast is coming back uh, when we get uh, th- that premiere in April, right? The- oh, God, there's not, there's just, I need some <laughs> now, time let, off. Let it's me a- ask you a question. <laughs> is there a week between the, yeah, there is, right? Because there's two more episodes left of Walking Dead and it's four weeks before uh, Game is of Thrones. Is there a week ever anymore between I, anything? Oh, I think God. there's a week, I think there's a week break. Between yeah, Walking Netflix Dead. is trying to kill me, by the way. Between Kimmy Schmidt and luckily I gave up on House of Cards, but Kimmy Schmidt and now Bloodline and then Daredevil, like I can't binge this many shows. But yes, there is like a week off there. But uh, yeah, and then there hopefully won't be too much of an overlap between um, Game of Thrones and the Hannibal podcast. But dear sweet baby Jesus, it's a crazy year for TV already. Um, you can, speaking of, you can find uh, my weekly TV podcast that I co-host with uh, Simon Howell at Sound on Sites. It's called The Televerse, and you can also reach me on Twitter at The Televerse. You can email me, theteleverse at gmail.com. Always love hearing from you guys about both The Walking Dead and the ridiculous other list of shows that are going on right now. Um, next week, we'll be back to talk about Season 5, Episode 15, Try. I, again, I don't have the, the writer in front of me, but it's directed by Michael E. Satrazimus. And, uh, yeah, it should be another fun (laughs) penultimate episode. Um, so probably a lot of talking. We always kind of love when the show does that. So, well, 
outside of the farm. So uh, we'll be back next week to talk about that episode. Thank you all for listening. So you're aware I'm on record as stating that I should not be here. You will know that I'm not combat ready or even for that matter combat inclined. You never are till you are. You gotta start pulling your weight, you know I did. What? All things being equal, I do believe my weight's been pulled. I got you all to DC, which in this man's opinion is damn near Nirvana by current standards. Except you didn't get us here. We got you here. But were it not for me and my mention of this city's potential for home and hearth, not a one of you would have had the vision to come here, let alone the cojones to travail such a fraught and punishing pilgrimage. That sister is a fact. That's as cold and hard as they come. God, you're really that much of a coward. Yes, I am. I told you I was.